Welcome back to Inside Outside Innovation, episode 51. We took a small break after our 50th two weeks ago, but now we're back and very excited to bring you an incredible interview with Lucy Beard, founder and CEO of Feats. Lucy started this 3D shoe printing business after working in actuarial science and getting tired of being told some things just don't change, even if her ideas indicated otherwise. Lucy also shared what the number one obstacle is for corporate startup partnership, and it's something she thinks many corporations overlook as a problem for the startups they engage with. Lucy's story is an excellent example of the incredible businesses that can result from mixing corporate and startup approaches. We want to make more of this magic possible at our Inside Outside Innovation Summit, June 19th through the 21st. Startups can compete for $100,000, and corporations can compete for the startups. Our team is here to help set up meaningful meetings between both parties to make innovation keep happening long after the conference ends. Find out more about becoming a sponsor and applying for the pitch contest at theiosummit.com. I'm sitting in front of a, a shoe, 3D printed shoe that is the size of the table almost, and we can talk a little bit more about how we got to the situation. So uh, with that, I'd like to introduce Lucy. So thanks for coming on the Inside Outside Innovation Podcast. It's great. Thanks, Brian, for having me. So tell me a little bit about uh, how you got to the point where you are creating 3D printed shoes. My, my understanding is your background, you came from corporate innovations. Tell the audience a little bit about how you got to where you are now. Yeah, I'm a, I've been a corporate innovator for more of my life because I never really understood what entrepreneurship was. Um, studied mathematics and became an actuary. So worked in like the most stodgy insurance industry that you could ever imagine. And at that point, I realized that although I love the numbers, I was really interested in the people. And then I was also interested in like, well, why can't we make things better? And I was the one actuary in the group that kept saying, well, like, why don't we build a better product? Why don't we do this? And at that point, I realized there was something different about me than the usual actuary. Other than that, that I can have a conversation with people. <laughs> Very good. That's important. So you, you were in corporate innovation. I think you worked at Intuit, and I think you did some time at, uh, at Zynga as well as Voice of the Customer and things along those lines. So tell me a little bit about uh, what it was like to do innovation within a corporation, and then we'll talk a little bit more about how you made the leap and, and what you're doing today. So, you know, after this actuary journey, I moved from England to Silicon Valley. And that's where, you know, you get your eyes open to just this different way of thinking that is really unique to that little tiny radius in Silicon Valley. And I learn about, like, how the customer is always king. And if you focus on solving great problems for the customer, the rest will come through for that. So, you know, I worked at a company called Intuit, and I was lucky to be in a, you know, a corporate finance role. So, you know, finance again with numbers. But, you know, I would be the person that would say, like, well, have we realized that this M&A charge or that we're charging for, like, our credit card business is not great for the customer? And they were like... Shut up, Lucy. <laughs> and then, but I kept knocking on the door, and I was saying, you know what? We, we don't really hire anyone under 30 in finance. They said, well, nobody can do accounting under, under 30. And I'm like, I don't think that's real. So I kept knocking on the doors, right? Um, and then after a few months, they just said, what is it going to take to shut you up, Lucy? And I went, just give me a little bit of time to do this. And that's how I then started being an entrepreneur inside a corporate innovation company. And over the course of like two or three years, you know, the whole company actually transformed to this understanding. They actually started design innovation. They created innovators and, you know, the design program. And I was like one of the first entrepreneurs, design innovators, you know, actually championed this as a company. 
Yeah, I know. I like Eric Reese and the whole lean startup stuff. Intuit kind of glommed on early on uh, and tried to train a lot of their folks. And uh, so it sounds like you're part of some of that early learnings. Oh, yeah. it's. I mean, there's a reason why that's one of the best companies to work for and has been for like 10, 15 years. An amazing culture. And they really do adapt, you know, both great corporate foundations of build a sustainable company. But at the same time, by being in an innovative culture like Silicon Valley, they're constantly thinking about, well, what's new and how do we keep that innovation going? So was it a spark of genius or was it, how did you actually decide, like, I'm going to start a company? I know. It took me seven years to really start this company. You know, being in Silicon Valley, right, I was just thinking about it all the time, but I never really felt good enough or I never felt like I had an idea. Um, and part of that's being a woman. So I'm, I'm very big on women in entrepreneurship and how we think differently about this and how you got to just overcome and just say, like, just do it. You know, failure is, is just not trying. Versus, hey, if it doesn't work, so what? Like, you can always just try something else. You know, fast forward a few years after that, seven years of not really doing anything but wanting to, uh, I eventually kind of quit my job. I went traveling, and I saw the world for a little bit. And it gives you a different perspective when you don't have that smartphone in your pocket. And I got to watch, took an RV, drove up to Canada and, and Alaska, and I saw things like animals and glaciers and rivers and the salmons coming through and it just showed me like this sense of the humanity of who we are and how you know we build technology but in the end the technology's really only been around for 50 or 100 years but the humans and just the environment has been around for tens of thousands of years and I realized at that point I said look you know now I'm over 30 I no longer want to just like have a career I want to leave the world in a better place And that's where I said, okay, that's going to be my startup idea. At some point, I'm going to get this inspiration, but my foundation principles are it has to be something that makes the world a better place, and it's not just something for money. My understanding is that you really didn't have any background in 3D printing or or anything along those lines. You just kind of dug in and and, and tried to solve a problem from that perspective. Take us back to the the time where you said, this is the problem I'm going to tackle and how I'm going to do it. So here I am like, okay, I'm ready to take on this whatever thing it's going to be. And then you just are open to ideas. And one day it was literally as easy as I went shoe shopping. (laughs) And I tried on a bunch of pairs of shoes and I couldn't find anything that fit. And I got really frustrated and I just went, oh, I'm done. And I walked out and next door was Starbucks and said, all right, I'm going to go have a cup of coffee. And I walked in and I walked up to the, to the counter and said, all right, I'm going to have a double mocha shot, extra hot, you know, soy milk. And um, I watched as they made this cup of coffee from two little machines and the person next to me and next to me and next to me. I was like, this light bulb went on. I said, why is my coffee more customizable than my shoes? And that was, you know, how this germ that then grew into something of what Feats is today is saying, well, why don't we say that every shoe you wear should be custom made for you? And that's what we do. You know, we've reinvented footwear to say, you don't need to be one of 17 sizes. You're only one size, and it's size me. So tell me a little bit about how did you go from the, the incubation of the idea to the next step? And, you know, ideas are everywhere, and, and obviously that's not really where the value is created. It's the execution of the value. So how did you go about starting that execution process? Yeah, ideas are cheap, and, you know, to actually do it, it's hard work. And if I knew now, this is three years in, I'm like, oh, man, I'm sweating thinking about it. (laughs) But you kind of just take what's the next challenge that I have to solve. So I said, okay, I need to do something. I found a startup weekend, so one of those 48-hour weekend things. And, you know, luckily it was about fashion and technology. And I said, all right, I'll go to it. And um, I put my hand up, had this idea, and six people were working on it with me for 48 hours. And we pitched it at the end, and then somebody came up to me and said, that's a good idea. Do you want to, like, learn how to turn it into something real? And so I went to a founder accelerator program called Founders Institute. 
know, after four months of that, then I said, okay, now I really need to learn how to make this into a bigger business. And I moved to Tennessee. So, you know, I know part of your podcast is about outside of Silicon Valley. You know, I was like, surely I'm going to do this in California or Silicon Valley. And, you know, instead this little town called Chattanooga, Tennessee called me up and said, you know what? We really believe in 3D printing. We're actually pretty disruptive in what we do. And we're bringing 10 to 15 companies from across the country together to focus on this. And I was like blown away. And after doing my research, I said, okay, I'm in. And I moved there and I was in Chattanooga, Tennessee for two years. And it was amazing to be able to build my company there. Yeah, it's an amazing city. I've been there a number of times. We've got a number of close connections, I think, based on our LinkedIn uh, profile. So, uh, and they're doing some amazing things, similar to what's going on in Nebraska and other places that I've seen around the around the world, really, this, uh, this whole rise of the entrepreneur and rise of the startup. So... Speaking of the rise of the, the startup, so how are you, uh, you know, as a, a small three-year-old company, kind of competing against the giants of the world of, of footwear, whether it's you know Nike or whoever? How, what, how are some of the things that you're doing that are different that you know bring innovation to the world uh, differently than a, a larger corporation that's you know trying to solve quote unquote the same problem? Yeah, uh, you know here we are at this conference at The Economist and talking all about that. You know, large companies, whether they love it or not, they have to focus on shareholders. And so when they make decisions, they're making things that will hit, and you'll see it actually on the P&L within one or two quarters. As a startup, I'm not doing that. I'm three years in, and we're, like, really just starting to make money now. You know, and then we've got to get to profitability after a couple more years. That's not going to be something that Nike's interested on a $30 billion, you know, revenue model. So we have the opportunity to grow kind of under the shadows for a few years before then these companies look at us and go like, whoa, hold on, what's going on here? This is competitive against us. And you're also doing different business models from the standpoint of you don't have to have retail stores, and that sounds like most of your business is kind of direct to the consumer. And talk a little bit about how you're getting close to that consumer to really understand what their what their needs are. Yeah, the secondary aspect of being a, like a little startup or an upstart, right, is, you know, we can be fearless. We can try things and fail really fast and often, and we do. We're constantly testing out, hey, should this be a subscription model? Should we just say, like, you never actually buy these shoes, you just rent them from us? Because the whole point is we want these shoes back to recycle them. So why don't we just change how you think of what a shoe is? Then we think, well, what is a design of a shoe? What's the size of a shoe? How do we actually ask you what comfort means in a shoe? All these things are different that we're constantly learning about and because we can innovate fast. Now, so the business model right now, what we do first is, you know, we sell direct to consumers. So you can download an app. You can get the, your foot sizes just by taking three photos from that app. I mean, it's pretty revolutionary, right? You choose what style and colors you want. You press go. We 3D print it in San Diego, California, and then we mail it to you within like seven to ten days. Wow. (laughs) And then when you're done with the shoes in about six to nine months, we say, we ping you again, say, are you ready for your next pair? Because we want to give you a discount. You send us that other one back. We recycle it, and we turn it into a new pair of shoes. That's amazing. It's completely different of putting footwear on its head or, you know, footwear on the <laughs> under side of its feet, right? And so large companies just have no incentive of a cradle-to-grave approach. They sell you a product, the transaction's done, they want you to buy it again. We're like, well, as a business, we want to say we actually are responsible for what we do, responsible for how we make it in the first place. We're responsible for giving you, the consumer, the best product ever, which is about a custom product for you. And then at the end of it, we're saying it's not just something that ends in the landfill. We want to make sure that the world, as it gets bigger, that we're responsible for what happens to that product afterwards. That's an amazing story. Anything else you'd like to share with our audience as far as uh, either our entrepreneurial audiences, like how do you do this, and or the corporates that are kind of, uh, you're nipping at their heels? 
well, you know, we're talking about today of, well, who's really the enemy within corporate innovation? You know, and I came from finance. It was like finance used to always put the kibosh on things. No, it doesn't make enough money. Don't try it out. Um, and then other people were, no, it's corporate IT. And then someone said it was the lawyers. <laughs> I actually think that's a phenomenally true statement because now I'm looking through like three years of history as a startup and I'm like the biggest hurdles we've had is where we've had to do contracts you know either it's funding from VCs partnerships with large organizations like it stifles the innovation because we don't get to talk to the people or the business owners we're sitting in a room with lawyers and startups don't really fund lawyers they're just hiring this outside counsel so I think that's an, an amazingly insightful statement for any corporation that's thinking about innovation how you do the work you got to think not just about those amazing people who are smart and what they're going to do, but how are you empowering them with your infrastructure, your finance, your legal, and your IT? Well, this has been a great interview. If people want to find out more about uh, yourself or Feats, uh, what's the best way to uh, reach out to you? Yep, we're on social media at Feats Shoes across the board, and then visit our website at Feats.com. Excellent. Thanks, Lucy, for being on the Inside Outside Innovation Podcast. That wraps up this episode of Inside Outside Innovation. Thanks for listening. Take a minute and tell us your thoughts on iTunes or on Twitter at the IO Podcast. You can also follow Summit updates at theiosummit.com. Until next time, go out and innovate.